Hello and welcome to the Foundry Church podcast. My name is Joseph. I'm the worship pastor here at the Foundry Church in Winter Springs, Florida. Thank you so much for spending some of your week with us. Uh, What you're about to hear is one of the messages from our current sermon series called The Weight of Paper. Uh, We don't do this very often, but it's a series about money. And we have set out in this series about money to not tell you that you need to give more to the church or to tell you how to budget or how to get out of debt and build wealth for your future legacy and that sort of thing. Uh, There are plenty of places you can find that information. What we're trying to do is... Uh, talk about spiritual observations regarding money, uh, mostly from like the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Um, The reality is that money carries a weight in our lives. Uh, It is a concrete thing that we have a certain amount of, and we have to live with what we have uh, to a large extent. And so there's there's a weight, there's a heaviness that comes with that. Uh, But on the flip side of that is sort of the the idea that most of us would say deep down, we know that money is not the most important thing. It's not as important as relationships and family. It's not as important as being a person of honesty and integrity. It's not as important as our faith. Uh, And so striking that balance between um, holding on to money and our ideas about money tightly enough that we're in control of uh, what's happening with our money, but not so tightly uh, that it begins to take control of us. Uh, So that being said, that being rambled, uh, here we go with this message from The Weight of Paper. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so very glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or online. My name is Seth, and this is the Foundry where we're all about a better you and a better world. I know already what is on your mind. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what happened to the rice from last week, and who cleaned it up? I know a lot of you are worried about this. So to put your minds at ease, I just want you to know that it was me. I cleaned up the mess of rice. (laughs) Thank you. The the expectations in this place are so refreshingly low. Um, But you know what I was thinking was like, all these people were really concerned about what was going to happen to the rice. And yet I found myself cleaning up the rice by myself which made me think, what happened to all the people that were so worried about the rice? So, no thanks to you guys. (laughs) We are in week two of our series that we're calling The Weight of Paper. The Weight of Paper. And what we're not doing is talking about, like, here's three steps how to do money better. We're not saying, like, here's how to budget, here's how to invest, here's how to retire. None of that. That's not what I do. That's not what I'm about. That's not really my, like, lane. There's lots of people that are giving graded money advice out there. Like, go find them. We're not talking about, like, that. We're talking about a different way to think, to approach uh, our finances. We're talking about how is it that we, like, develop and maintain a healthier relationship with money. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at some of the ancient wisdom literature found within the the scriptures and looking at, like, what does this inform, how does this inform us? How does this 
speak to how it is that we can better like engage with our finances, that sort of thing. And so uh, we, last week we started with this idea, like three words, we started with the numbers and the story and the flow. And that's all kind of represented on our graphic here. You can see this, the, the elephant, the elephant represents like the seriousness of money, the numbers, the cold hard facts, the black and whiteness, the, the, that's either this or it's not, like you have it or you don't. Uh, it represents the budget. You know, it's, it's this, this heaviness, it's money, it's serious. But then also we have these balloons that represent the story. This is the thing, like, uh, the story that we tell ourselves concerning our finances. And the story kind of shapes the, the numbers. And this, what we try to remember is that these two things are always connected, that they go together. We need both, and we need to be aware of both of them so that we don't get stuck on one side or the other, where we're not too grounded in the numbers and where we're not too ungrounded in the story. These two things are always connected, and we want to kind of learn how to dance between the two. We also talked about this ancient and paradoxical wisdom uh, that is known that we called the, the flow. Remember from Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, where it says, the one who gives freely will increase all the more. And the one who holds on to, who refrains from giving, who doesn't scatter, this person comes to poverty or comes to a place of lack. It's this weird sort of paradoxical thing that happens. It's counterintuitive. It seems to be like this universal premise that is contrary to most of our thoughts about how we handle finances. It's by giving and being generous and holding our resources loosely that actually we end up in this larger flow of things. It's so very weird. So last week was numbers, story, and flow. This week we're gonna move on. We're gonna talk about like money as our teacher and money as a mirror. Money teaches and money reflects. Okay, so let's start with money as a teacher. I don't know about you, but when it comes to uh, like how I relate to money, often I find myself like having this question in the back of my mind that's saying like, am I doing this right? <laughs> or, or maybe like, man, I hope I'm not doing this wrong, right? Like I'm trying, I feel like I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to pay off debt. I'm trying to work on my savings. I know these things are important, but there's also a lot of things to consider. A lot of things that like are, are, are rolling around in my mind concerning my finances. Like, Like, I need to be working on some sort of, like, college fund for my kids, right? But also, I want to be able to go on vacation and do some traveling. And also, I want to be able to take my kids places, like, cool places, sometimes. Not not always, just sometimes. They don't get to go everywhere. But we also need, like, new couches. And, like, I want to redo our bathroom. And, like, I feel like I should be investing more somewhere. And it'd be nice to make a bit more money somehow, some way. But I like what I do. And I'm not sure that I have the time or the energy to add something else to my plate. Should I be spending my money on this or should I be spending it on that? I just want to feel like, like I'm doing it right. Regardless of what our income is, we want to feel like we're doing it right or we don't want to feel like we're doing it wrong. This is why I think understanding these two realities of the numbers and the story is important because it helps move us from this kind of dualistic thinking of either I have it or I don't to kind of dancing between these two things and and attempt to step into this larger flow. And if you can begin to move yourself more and more into this idea of participating in this larger flow of resources and money in the universe, into this idea that you're participating in something greater, it helps you to move from thinking about how you interact with money as right and wrong and allows you to understand money as like a teacher and as a mirror. And when you can begin to understand this, it helps to eliminate some of the weight 
of paper that we feel. Because rather than getting like super worked up or stressed out about our finances all the time, it, it actually might give you some, some space. It might give you this, this place to like release some of the burden and pressure that you often feel, that so many of us feel when it comes to our relationship with money. Okay, so let's expand upon this idea of money as teacher, money as mirror. Money as teacher, first, <clears throat> I think it's really important for us to give money the proper place in our lives, the proper like position in, in the hierarchy of our lives, right? It's important, yes, absolutely, it's money, it's heavy, it's serious, it's the elephant, but also it's, it's still just money. And, and there are in fact things in this world, in this life that are more important than money, right? There's, there's things more important than money. So we wanna give it the proper ranking within the hierarchy of our lives. In the ancient wisdom tradition, money is never the most important thing, right? In fact, in the wisdom tradition, wisdom is understood as more valuable than money. Big surprise. The wisdom literature says, no, this is the most important. Yeah, well, of course. Well, look at this. So Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, <clears throat> if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for, look for it as for silver and search for it as, a hidden, uh, as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So it says, call out for insight, cry out for this understanding, search for this wisdom the way that you would search for silver or the way that you would search for hidden treasure. The writer is intentionally connecting these two ideas of wisdom and wealth and searching for them, right? And in, in their mind, wisdom in this has the upper hand. It's the more valuable thing because it's wisdom that gives you this insight to the things of God. Okay, what about this one? Ecclesiastes chapter seven. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Ooh, that's a good one, isn't it? So both wisdom and money, they both have value. It's not that they're not valuable, but one carries more value. They can both be used to protect us, right? To, to give us shelter, that sort of thing. But Solomon elevates wisdom over money because according to him, as one of the wealthiest and wisest people to have ever walked the face of the planet, wisdom has this particular quality that money does not have, and that is this ability to preserve. It will not abandon us. It will not turn on us the way that money can. The word for preserve in the Hebrew text is the word kayah, which means to live, whether literally or figuratively, to keep alive, to leave alive, to make alive. So wisdom is more valuable than money because it has this ability to bring life. Money, despite how much we wrap our lives around it, does not actually bring life to our lives. What about this one? Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord uh, with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will, will brim over with new wine. Now, I'm aware that this isn't talking directly about wisdom, right? I get that. This is obviously connected to the idea of tithe. But if you look at that language, this sounds an awful lot to me like our Proverbs from last week, Proverbs 11, right? That, <clears throat> excuse me, where it says those who give freely will, will be blessed all the more. Those who scatter widely will gain all the more. This is, to me, leaning into that same idea. Honor God with your resources, and your barns will be filled to overflowing. But what this is also doing 
is that this is also setting up the next part, which is actually about wisdom. Uh, if you skip down to verse 13, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she, by the way, wisdom is always personified as a woman. And all the women said, there you go. For she, being wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. So the person who gives freely gains even more. The person who honors God with their wealth has, uh, will have their wealth overflowing, with their barns overflowing. And that's cool. That's great. That's wonderful. You should do that, right? But guess what? There's something better than silver and gold, something more precious than rubies, and that is this wisdom and understanding. Even if your barns are overflowing, nothing compares to the value of wisdom, right? So this is, this is how this is talking about, the ancient wisdom is telling us how this works, that when you participate in generosity, you are entering into this larger flow, and that's amazing. That's the place where we would want to live, because that's the place, like, that's how things work. That's how this whole thing tends to work, but we also need to be aware that there's something greater than wealth, which is wisdom. So again, this is about putting money in its proper place within the hierarchy of our lives. So why is it important for us to know this? Well, it's important because we will inevitably go through some sort of financial stress at some point in our lives. What happens when we do that? Or if you've been through that already, what happens? Well, it's very easy to get consumed by the stress of our finances, isn't it? Our vision gets a bit narrowed under the weight of paper. All we see is, well, we have this problem. And then we start trying to figure out, well, or we start asking questions like, how do I fix this? How do I get more money? What's the immediate solution to fix the problem that I'm in? And, and those kind of questions are, are fine. They're kind of our natural response to some sort of financial stress. They may help us to get out of that immediate situation, but by only being focused on the immediate, we miss the potential for the greater and deeper wisdom, the kind of wisdom that might help us to actually avoid the situation in the future, right? So like maybe when, when we find ourselves in, in some sort of financial stress, we need to ask better questions, not just how do I fix this, but maybe questions like, how did I get here? <laughs> Is there anything else at play in this situation? Maybe we need to question our assumptions about things. Maybe we need to question the story that we've told ourselves concerning the numbers. Maybe we need to ask the question about, are we participating or are we refusing to participate in this larger flow? So as we go through like, some sort of financial stress, the question needs to be bigger than just, how do I fix this? Like, the, the better question is like, What's the lesson here? What's the lesson here? And if I can learn to ask what's the lesson here, this moves me out from the pressure of am I doing it right or am I doing it wrong? And because you're asking better questions, you'll come to a place of finding a bit of wisdom in whatever situation you're going through, regardless of what the situation will be. And that wisdom is the thing that you, that you accumulate as you deal with various financial situations is actually the more valuable thing than the money that you may have lost in the situation. For wisdom is more valuable than silver. There's a great uh, question, kind of infuriating question, that my dad often poses to me several times throughout my life as I've gone through some sort of difficulty, whatever. He'll ask me this question, he'll go, and how much did that lesson cost? <laughs> right? Like that's... Like, it's annoying, 
in, in the, at the moment, like, because like, leave me alone, I get it. But also like, yeah, that's, there's a deep truth there, isn't there? Like how much did that lesson cost? Money is always teaching us. So you go through some sort of financial stress, you ask better questions, you look for the wisdom, you ask how much did that lesson cost? Or you go, that lesson cost me a, a lot, but I did learn something, right? It's all a school. It's all an opportunity for, for learning. And that wisdom is actually more valuable than the, than the money that was lost. Failure is, is a class. Money is a teacher. And when you understand this, it helps to alleviate some of the weight of paper that we carry in our lives. That lesson may come at a great expense, but moving forward, that cost actually becomes a benefit. I was talking with a guy the other day uh, kind of about some of this stuff. And this is a guy who, who has a, created a great deal of wealth in his life. And I said, hey, can you, do you have any like, good illustrations for a time like you did something dumb financially? Because I have, I have too many to sort through is my problem. I was like, can you just give me, give me like one like good one? Like, and, uh, and then like, what kind of lesson do you learn? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, man, he was right off the top of my head. He goes, well, I think about when I bought my first house. He, he had just kind of come out of college, and, and he was starting to work for a company, and he was making pretty good money at a young age. had just been married, and uh, they decided they were going to buy a house. And so it was like 2004, and he said they, they put money down on, on a pre-built home, or it wasn't, you know, it hadn't been pre-construction home. They got into this house for like $180,000, right? He, so he said, I, I, I hadn't built up a lot of wealth yet, so I had to borrow money from my parents. So I took my parents' money, put the down payment on this, and, and we're beginning the process. $180,000 home. It was great. We were excited. So then he said, if you remember that it was just after that sometime where we had like the four hurricanes in a row show up. And so he said the process of building the home that he wanted got like drastically slowed down. Said it ended up taking like three years to complete the whole process. Three years of, of like waiting and going through all this. So by the time they get it done, you're getting into like 2007. And by 2007, he said that the market, the housing market, if you remember, began to skyrocket. He said that $180,000 home that he hadn't moved into yet was now valued at 350,000. So he said, I had a great idea. I thought, there's another subdivision being built. I see a bigger, better home that I can get into for 250000 So he goes and he borrows money, more money from his parents for another down payment on this second house. And he says, well, as soon as this one gets done, I'll sell that one, take that money, roll it over to this, and then be sitting on top of the world. It's a great plan. It's a great plan. It all works out, right? <laughs> and then 2008 came. And then the housing market, housing bubble bust. And he said, I felt like I was a kid that got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. He said, I had to eat the down payment on the second house, because that wasn't going to happen. And then the house that was 180 that jumped to 350 was now valued down below, like way in the low 100s. He said, I was sick to my stomach. He said, I think that's why I actually developed insomnia for a little while. Oh, yeah, because that kind of stress, right? Remember last week you talked about how that's kind of connected to like this biological survival type stuff. This is how we survive these days. And so that's like a really deep-seated sort of thing that you're dealing with. I said, well, how did that make you feel? He said, it was so painful. 
so painful. He said, I thought I had everything figured out. I ran the numbers. I had the spreadsheets. I thought I had the complete story, and there was no way that I could lose, but I couldn't predict or control four hurricanes in a row. Who saw that one coming? I couldn't predict, even though you might have seen it coming, exactly when the housing market would, would, would fall out. I, I couldn't, there wasn't much I could do about that. I didn't plan for it to go that way. So I said, well, apart from that experience, what did you learn? What did you learn? He said, well, I learned you should never bet what you don't have. And he said, I learned that from that moment on, I would never allow my emotions to get in the way or involved with a financial decision. And he said, you know what? I've never lost money on a house ever since. And this is a guy who from then to like now, like 20 years, has literally moved into 20, moved and bought 20 different houses based on his work. And now he's a part of a company that actually buys and sells billion dollar companies. Yeah, that, that was an expensive lesson. That lesson had a great cost attached to it. But the wisdom that he gained through it is invaluable. What did that lesson cost? It literally cost him tens of thousands of dollars. That's a pricey education. But guess what? He walked away with this incredible amount of wisdom. And wisdom, even though it might not seem like it sometimes, is more valuable than silver. Yeah. Okay, so now, money is always teaching us something. Let me give you three things real quick about this, and then that might be helpful, and then we'll move on. Uh, one is very simple. Um, like, keep an eye on your spending habits, because if money is a teacher, your spending habits can actually reveal a great deal of things. So look for patterns in your spending. This is a great teacher. How you buy things, when you buy things. Uh, is your spending sporadic, uh, erratic, or, or, or impulsive? And you end up buying a bunch of junk that you don't really need or don't really want anyways, but it was there and it was like a impulse buy. Like you end up with a lot of junk. Or is your like is your buying like much more calculated and you process and assess and you buy less of a better quality thing? Like do you spend more money when you're sad or when you're in some sort of low place in order to make yourself better? Do you buy things in order to impress others, even though you don't really want it and don't really need it, but everybody else has it, so I should probably get it because I need to be a part of the club because that's cool. And I want to be cool because I'm insecure in my own being, so I'm gonna spend the money. That was a lot of things to ponder. <laughs> um, like, how do you spend? Like, keep an eye on these patterns, because this will reveal some insight about you. This will reveal insight to how you're using your money, and it might even give you some areas that you can adjust accordingly. I've noticed sometimes I, I do this when I'm in like a low place, or if I'm in a bit of a sad place, I tend to buy things that I don't, I'm not like a big shopper anyways, right? And, and I never buy like, big things, it's always just like small things, but I've noticed that when I'm in a low place, like I loosen the purse strings a little bit, just, just a little bit, like nothing major. I was, I was at Publix the other day, like getting something the family needed, and I was like, well, I probably need a bag of Reese's Thins, <laughs> right? I, and, I, and I'm not a person, I don't buy candy. I don't buy, I especially don't buy bags of candy. And there I was like, well, something about getting this thing that I don't normally get made me it made me feel a little bit better, right? It felt pretty good about that. And then I started to notice, this is like a fairly recent self-revelation, -revel huh? <laughs> realization. Yes. I became aware of something in this moment. And that was, oh, I'm like, 
I'm in a low place and this is a response to this internal thing that I'm dealing with, right? I do this on Amazon too. And and this, since I've been like, since I tuned into this, I realized that this is a thing where uh, I was on Amazon and I was looking for a part for a four-wheeler because we needed that. It was like five bucks, no big deal. But then I was in like a low place and so I got distracted and remembered some things that I wouldn't normally buy that I thought, well, this would be a good time because I'm in a low place and maybe this will help me feel better. And so I've been looking up worms. (laughs) And I thought, does Amazon sell buckets of worms for composting? That's what I want, live worms. (laughs) They do. I had a bucket of 500 worms in my checkout cart. (laughs) Why? Why? And I was one click away from becoming the proud parent of a bunch of worms. And then it like occurred to me, it like set in like, oh, 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 no, no, no. I, you, you realize what you're doing. You're compensating for some things here. Like you're doing this in order to like deal with something that you don't want to deal with. So I was able to delete that out of my cart. Right? I've started to recognize this particular pattern in my spending. There's nothing wrong with a bag of Reese's. There's nothing wrong with splurging occasionally if you get in the mood for some worms. <laughs> I feel like I say things sometimes that nobody relates to. <laughs> like, hey, you guys know how like, you're in the market for a bunch of worms? No, we, we don't. That's not something we do. Anyways, I've learned that if I can identify, since I've been able to identify this pattern, it allows me to help keep that in check so that I can have a better handle on my money, so that there's a healthier relationship, so that I'm not looking to the money to fix the things internally by buying something externally that won't help internally. So it's helpful to look for patterns in your spending. This will teach you something. The second thing is this. Even with accumulated wisdom, you can never fully eliminate risk, especially when it comes to the realm of finances. Nobody wins all the time. Right? The guy that I was talking to, he did all his due diligence. He had the lock on the numbers. He had the knowledge. He had the spreadsheets, and yet he still took a bath. Right? So cut yourself some slack. Give yourself a bit of a break. Even the ex- experts get burned from time to time. Even the people who have a whole lot of money will tell you they've also lost a whole lot of money. Like They didn't always get it right either. So come out from the pressure of, am I doing this right or am I doing this wrong, and live in the lightness of, oh, this is a lesson. There's a lesson here, and nobody wins all the time. And thirdly, like you don't have to carry shame or guilt about mishandling money. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's painful. Yes, you may feel dumb, and you might be, but you don't have to feel bad about it. <laughs> Look at me. I, I don't feel bad about it. Like, here, because how else are you supposed to learn about how to handle money other than by handling money? How else do I learn how it works? How else do I accumulate the wisdom of finances if I'm not handling finances? This is why I like my kids to have their own cash, because they're learning and they're growing. They're learning about wants and needs and desires, and they're learning that, yes, they can take their entire like, allowance and spend that on bubble gum and candy, and they can ingest that all in the same day and get a bellyache, but they're also learning that there's consequences that come to that because they're not going to feel well and then they're not going to have anything to show for it and then when they want something else that they really want, they won't have money to spend it. So they're learning how to handle this cash. They're learning about giving. They're learning about uh, uh, savings, all these things. The way that we learn to handle money is by handling money and nobody has it all figured out and nobody always gets it right. So of course, we might occasionally get burned. Of course, we might occasionally make a bad decision. But if you can take those like disasters 
and turn them into something like a lesson because it's teaching you something. It moves you from a place of using words like failure. It moves you from a place of like guilt and shame. It allows you to come to the place of like, oh, you know, I've, I haven't always done it right, but I have learned a lot. This allows you to come out from the weight of paper. You're just figuring out how things work. How else are you supposed to do it? Okay, so money as a teacher. Now let's talk about money as a mirror for a minute and then we'll, then we'll be done. Money has this like weird ability and power to reflect, to reveal, and to expose things to us. It's almost like it's reflecting back to us some sort of internal state of being. It's reflecting to us how we truly see and think about who we are and the world that we live in and how the universe works and all these greater things. Proverbs chapter 11, again, the one who gives freely will receive all the more. The one who withholds comes to poverty. If a generous man or person, woman, whoever, the generous they, if they're generous to begin with, that will be revealed in their relationship with money. And if a generous person comes to a place of having some sort of abundant wealth, what tends to happen is that they continue to expand and increase their generosity. But if someone else is like a selfish, egotistical, jerkwad type of person, and they come to a place of having abundant wealth, do you know what happens? They don't magically become generous. Their selfish, like jerkwadedness usually gets amplified, doesn't it? It gets accentuated, it becomes more grandiose. So money has this ability to reflect back to us this internal state of being. If I maintain a mindset of abundance and generosity, that will reveal itself. If I maintain a mindset of scarcity, that will reveal itself. Money has this ability to reflect back to us. It has this ability to reveal what's going on in here. If I am spending the bulk of my finances just on myself and my own wants and needs and that's my own little world, right? that reveals where I'm at and how I view things. If I'm spending a good portion of my stuff on like others and helping and being kind, whatever, that will reveal itself. That will reveal where you're at and how you view things. Right? Money reflects back to us this question, like, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Because when, whatever it is you're buying or you're spending your money on, you're always sending a message. So when you go through the process of some sort of <clears throat> completing some form of transaction, you're affirming some realities and you're denying other realities. Money has the ability to call out the magical if only, right? You, you have if onlys, if only I had that, then life would be good. If only I had that, then I could be at peace. I'm sure if we all like, took a minute to be kind of honest with ourselves, we would come to the place of realizing that we all probably have a few if-onlys. If only I had that sort of thing. And, and, and here's the thing. We're not talking about like basic necessity type stuff. We're talking about things beyond the basic necessities. Like if I could only get that new fancier car, if I could only get that beach house, vacation house that I want, whatever. If I could only get that new toaster with the extra wide, wide bagel slots, covering everybody's budget again, remember? If I could only get that, then I would be in a better place. And the problem with the magical if only is that it's this lie that we're telling ourselves that essentially the joy is found somewhere else. If only I had that thing, if only I had that money, if only I had that money to get that thing, then I would be in the place where the joy is. 
And if I'm continually living with this idea that the joy is somewhere else, then two things are going to happen. One is I will be continually missing out on or overlooking the joy that is in front of me. Or two, you're putting yourself in this really terrible position of believing in a future that can never actually exist because you're just caught in this perpetual cycle of want and lack and never being satisfied. It's like the um, Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Yes, I know that's an extremely dated reference, right? I'm not that cool anyway, so it doesn't matter. It's a dated reference. But there's a particular one of them, I don't remember which one, there's a scene that always stuck out with me. I think it was like the, like the subtitle of the movie, but I don't remember, um, where a particular group of pirates were cursed. <laughs> which is like maybe every pirate movie, I don't know, but these groups of pirates were cursed and there was this one scene where they were on the boat and the guy was saying like, you know, how awful it was because essentially they could drink tirelessly, endlessly drink, but yet they would never have their thirst quenched. They could eat endlessly, but they would never have their bellies full. Like, yeah, that's, that's a curse. What a terrible way to go through life. Always consuming, but never being content. Always consuming but never being content. That's kind of this magical if only, the lie of the magical if only. And so money can be thought of this mirror that's reflecting back to us this question. Like, are you sure about that? Are you sure you need that? Are you sure you want that? Because that thing isn't going to be the cure. And you are living in this curse that believes that it is. And if you can't find the joy in what it is that you already have, the odds are that you're not going to be able to find the joy in something else either. In Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus gives us the parable of the rich fool. And we're not going to go through this whole thing because um, we don't have the time and because we might be doing parables this summer. But Jesus has this great line that fits into this whole idea that we're talking about today. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus has given them this warning. Like, I mean, look, there, this little line right here with the dot, this is called an exclamation point. And what this does from a grammar perspective is it highlights and adds emphasis to what he's saying. I don't know if you guys knew that. I just wanted to make sure. So watch out. Like, watch out. This is, this is a warning. This is, like, serious. This is, this is not, hey, guys, be mindful of this. This will be helpful. This is, this is a serious thing he's talking about. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Now, the word for greed in the, in the Greek text is this. So the, the word is greed. The word in Greek is pleonexia. Okay? Can you say pleonexia? pleonexia. Very good, class. We're getting better. Pleonexia means or is defined as avarice. Now, I assumed that you guys would know this word. I didn't. And I had to look up what does avarice means, which is never a great place to be when you have to look up the definition of a word that you're looking up the word that you just defined. Here's what avarice means. An excessive or insatiable desire for wealth or gain. An excessive or insatiable desire for wealth and gain. It's this desire for more and more and more with not, there's like no target, there's no goal. There's no like end to it. Sometimes you see this with people who have a lot of money, that there's, there's no foreseeable end. There's no awareness of that's enough. It's just this endless striving for more. 
And the problem with endless striving is like, there's never any peace. There's never a place to relax. You're just pursuing some vague idea of a future that will never come because if there is no number, if there is no place that you're pointing to for the goal or that that you can go, that's enough, then you're endlessly working towards a future that can't manifest itself because you haven't been able to name what that is. It's just this endless cycle. So Jesus says, watch out, exclamation point. Watch out for this. Be on your guard against this. Watch out for this avarice. Be be on your guard against all kinds of pleonexia, against this insatiable desire for wealth and gain because your life does not consist in your junk. It doesn't consist in what you own. That's not who you are. It's stuff. Sometimes it's nice. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it worries. Sometimes it breaks. But that's not where the life is found. He's saying... Don't miss out on the joy of life that is before you because you've bought into the lie that says the joy is somewhere else. The joy is here. The joy is now. It's only the magical if only that will keep you from the joy that's already here. You see, I think we live in a world that suffers from a great deal of pleonexia. And so what money does is that money holds up this mirror to us for us to see if we suffer from any pleonexia as well. Let me give you two more verses connected to pleonexia and then we'll, we'll, we'll be done. Okay, uh, the first one, this is another one from uh, the Wisdom of Solomon. And again, one of the richest and wisest people who have ever lived. Watch what he says, Ecclesiastes 5. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. This is pleonexia, isn't it? This is avarice. This is an insatiable desire. Jesus says, watch out for this because you will not find joy this way. The joy is not somewhere else. The joy is here, now, in front of you. This is not where life is. Last one, there's a ton here, but just check this out. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Man, that's a big word right there. We struggle with that one, don't we? It's like these ideas, this isn't even a sermon about contentment, but they kind of go together, don't they? Like if you're struggling with the pleonexia, then you haven't learned contentment. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, which might, again, by the reason why Jesus says, watch out, exclamation point. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs pierce themselves with many griefs. This, this is a verse that you've probably heard before. It often gets taken out of context. We go, oh, the love of money is the root of all evil. No, sorry, the money is the root of all evil. This says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But if you finish the verse, what does it say? That some people with this eager desire for money have not only wandered from their faith, 
but their eagerness to acquire this wealth, by doing this, they've actually pierced themselves with many griefs. Their desire for wealth seems to come with some sort of pain inflicted upon the self. This is the pleonexia that they believe will be the solution or will provide the answers to their problems or whatever that will give them this greater sense of something. And this will be the very thing that will end up causing them, us, the most pain. It's weird how that works. Something about scattering widely, something about giving freely opens us up and allows us to step into this larger flow that seems to lead to a particular kind and quality of life. And something about hoarding and collecting and, and like gripping this stuff so tightly seems to lead to a place of lack and poverty. And the pursuit of more of this without the giving component actually leads to more pain. It's like these two things... They're like these cycles and circles, and if we get going down, we keep thinking we're uh, on the pleonexia, we keep thinking that we're going to get somewhere, but actually we're just like making ourselves more and more miserable. It's a weird thing. So money is a teacher. Money is a mirror. And what we want to do is keep moving away from this dualistic thinking of either I have it or I don't. How do I get it? How do I spend it? Am I doing it right or am I doing it wrong? We want to loosen our grip on money, and we want to loosen money's grip on us. We want to move in this, into this participation with the, of this dance between the weight of the numbers and the freedom of the story. We want to dance between these two so that we can live within the peace and the joy and the beauty of this much larger flow, so that as we do, we can begin to unburden ourselves from the tremendous weight of paper that so many of us wrestle with so that we can step into the fullness of life that Jesus came to offer. You don't have to carry the weight of paper. You can be free from that. You can find the joy in the here and now. You can be free from the weight of paper. You can experience life where you are, how you are. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you once again for spending some time with us this week. We hope that that message was challenging in some good ways and inspiring in some good ways and hopeful in some good ways. And uh, we hope that um, that God is doing something in your heart, maybe in your mind, perhaps, uh, to help you find that balance between uh, the concrete realities of money in our lives and sort of the the more ethereal, like spiritual observations and uh, the way that we approach it, the way we view it, and the value that we give it in our in our deepest, like inmost self. Um, you can find out more about what we're doing here at the Foundry Church either by going to our website, that's www.thefoundryc.org, or you can check out our app if you go to your app store on iPhone or Android uh, and search for Church Center. You'll find the app. Once you open it up, you'll be able to find our church within the app, and then that's like your gateway to everything that's happening at our church in terms of information and things you can be involved with and things you can participate in. Um in various ways. Uh, For now, that will do it for the Foundry Church Podcast. Uh, Thank you once again for spending some time with us this week. We'll see you next time.